0: oh, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. He goes, you are picking the lowest of the low here. And he goes, I am also, even in my own house, I'm the youngest. In other words, I have the least standing. No one calls me a mighty warrior. No one looks to me for strength. You know, I'm the baby of the family, you know, the runt of the litter, so to speak. So the Lord then says to him, surely... I will be with you and you will defeat Midian as one man. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. This is a podcast designed to help you grow in your faith. The more you know, the more you can grow. I've been doing this now for 370 episodes, so that's probably, I don't know, 150 weeks, almost three years that we've been doing the Salty Pastor, and it's solely designed to help you be coached up in your faith. We want to focus on the Bible and teach you how you can read it for yourself, study it for yourself, how you can learn about the philosophical context, the historical context, the cultural context, and how you can kind of kind of get rid of all the complicated theories and ideas about it. Just read it and grow your own faith because in the end, what you believe is what's most important. Not what somebody else believes, what you believe, because what you believe is one of the most important things about yourself. So the more you grow, the more you know what you believe and why you believe it, then the stronger your faith is. It ends up helping you become a more confident person, a more courageous person, a person who knows how to live life. And so that's what the Salty Pastor is all about. My compatriot, Jesse, who is my host and introduces me, is off helping raise money for cancer research. So we're glad that he's off there doing that. And I'm just going to spend some time today doing some Bible study with you. We do that every Tuesday at four o'clock when this episode drops. And then on Thursday, we'll do another podcast, kind of follow up to this one, that applies it to everyday situations and circumstances. So if you're uh, able to like and subscribe, love for you to do that. Love for you to go to our YouTube channel, The Salty Pastor. Love for you to like and subscribe because as our subscriptions grow... Uh, What happens is it opens up a lot more tools from YouTube that we are allowed to use to expand this platform. So please do that, like and subscribe. Also, we are today in the final installment of our series, Train to Go. And we've been focusing on the Great Commission of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28. If you are just joining us, let me read it for you. Verse 16, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version. It says, "But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they had saw Him, they worshipped Him, some were doubtful. And Jesus came up then and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all. That I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we've been talking about how when you become the Great Commission, when you become a person that is helping other people become followers of Christ, when you find people who become followers of Christ and then they help someone else become a follower of Christ, you have become the Great Commission. It is now a part of who you are, your identity. In Christ, you start to experience things you never imagined in life, uh, a sense of confidence, the way your, your own sense of value and purpose grows immensely. I mean, it is, it's out of this world how much that will grow in your life. So many people are searching for that. And right here in the scripture, Jesus says, you know, do this. And what happens is you will see what you're searching for in that part of your life. Just grow by leaps and bounds. Now, that's why we're calling this train to go. Some people are thinking, oh, you're going to give me 10 things I need to do to be a better Christian. I said, nope, that's not what this was about. What we've done is we've basically said that our, our goal is to train you in how to become what God has called you to become, not train you on more things to do. We're trying to avoid increasing religious requirements. What we want to do is we want to purify that relationship that you have with Christ. And so that's really what it's all about. So if you, um, you know, want to grow in your faith throughout this series, we focused on this thing that we call the great commission, how it's an engine that grows your faith. And it has three cylinders. One is transformative relationships or, you know, significant relationships. Uh, The other one is all about uh, not just your relationships, but uh, today we're going to talk about surrendered living. And when Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, what he's saying is teach them to obey or to follow everything that I have taught you or given to you as a command. And so we're going to dig into that in a moment. The other one is all about that helps the great great commission engine in my life, the third cylinder, and I talked about this last week, preached on it Sunday, is that it's, it's when we have a catalytic mission and we want to have a catalytic expression of what, in other words, we want to go out and we want to care about what Jesus cares about, and that is lost people. So when we really care about lost people, then we know that our own faith is really growing and maturing. So those are the three engines that, or I'm sorry, the three cylinders that make up the Great Commission engine that drives our faith and expands the kingdom of God. So I want to focus on the one we haven't talked about very much, and that's called surrendered living. Discipleship is learning how to live a surrendered life. It is the act of following. It's the the act of learning to be obedient to all that He has commanded. And I want to dig into that real quick before we talk about our Bible study story today. And that is, your frame of reference becomes really important when you consider this topic. Because if your frame of reference is religious in nature, right, right? And that, of course, is the predominant reference of most people in the world today is that to, you know, know God or walk with God or pursue God, I need to be a more religious person. Now, what's interesting is the New Testament uses the term, you know, pure and unadulterated religion and things like that. But it also defines two kinds of religion, right? One is religion is just a authentic faith in God through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The other one, a religious expression, was the Mosaic law or the, the, the religious law of the time that the Jewish Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees were requiring people to follow. And, and Jesus demarcated those two things. It, it he, he kind of, uh, you know, defined them as two separate things. And that's what his ministry was about. That's why you have an Old Testament, which is the covenantal law, the Mosaic law. And then you have the New Testament, which is a new testimony, a new covenant with God. And that is, we don't know God by following religious law. We know God by knowing Jesus. So if we're in Jesus, then we are connected to God. So that's how they kind of been demarcated by Jesus Christ himself. So surrendered living then, if you hear the phrase learning to be obedient to all that he commanded, you have to ask yourself, uh, what does that mean? Now, religious people say, well, I need to be a more moral person. You know, uh, I, I'm not keeping all the rules of what it means to be a good person. I need to be uh, better. And so, well, that's kind of how a religious person would look at it. That's their frame of reference. They might say, you know, I have to observe all these ceremonies more often. I, have to, I need to do them more faithfully. But the question is, what did Jesus actually command us to do? Did he command us to be obedient to the Old Testament law and become Jewish in nature in order to follow him? Or did he say something else? You know, he did say that uh, this new command I give to you. And then he goes on to say, love one another. It wasn't the new command I give to you is follow more rules. He says, you need to love one another. It's interesting when a Pharisee in the book of Matthew said to him, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? He said to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your spirit. And then he goes on to say, the second one is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So teaching them to be obedient to all that Jesus has commanded them is really teaching people to follow Jesus, living a life surrendered to what he's called us to become. And that's kind of different. You know, it's, it's a different type, a different feel uh, other than a religious thing. So when I live surrendered to Jesus... Uh, I need to surrender what I think about myself and I need to accept what he thinks and says about me. When I live surrendered to him, when I'm obeying everything that he has commanded, then I'm kind of giving up my agenda for my life and I'm accepting his agenda for my life. Uh, When I live surrendered, my attitude about certain things in life, I need to give up in order to reflect his attitude About certain things in life. And one of the best ways to kind of understand why you need to surrender your life and what happens to you as you are doing this and growing to maturity in your faith is found in the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. So I'd like to kind of go there and I'd like to spend a little bit of time just kind of studying it and giving you an idea of kind of what's going on and how it reflects. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we go through various stages of growth or seasons of growth, and in each season different things are happening. There's, you know, a different flavor, a different agenda of what God is doing in our lives, okay? So, I want to start off. I want to go back to Judges chapter 6, and I want to kind of read to you the story of Gideon. And one of the things that I think is really important to understand is that the book of Judges, right? covers a period of time in the nation of Israel of 400 years. I mean, it was a long period of time. So, I mean, you think about, you know, America is what, 250 years old? And how much has transpired just in that 250 years? This is a period of 400 years. This is before they had kings, and it was before Saul, and then King David, and King Solomon. They had this big, massive military. And so, sometimes, because they were not, unified and on the same page other groups would come in and take advantage of them and that's kind of what is happening here beginning with verse one then the sons of israel did what was evil in the sight of the lord and so the lord gave them into the hands of midian for seven years now the power of midian prevailed against israel because of midian the sons of israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains, and the caves, which were in the strongholds. So Midian would come in, their military was so strong, that Israel went up and dug a bunch of caves and stuff in the mountains, way up in the mountains, in order to protect themselves. And this is why, verse 3, For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them. They would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, so all the way from the Dead Sea, all the way to the coast, they would destroy all the produce. They would leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, no ox or donkey. So they would come in and they were like locusts. They'd take everything. I think he actually says this in later on, verse 5. They would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for a number Both they and their camels were innumerable, and then they came into the land, and they would devastate it. So they would go up in the cave, they'd build these caves, hidden stashes, where they could hide animals and livestock so they wouldn't be uh, wiped out. But it was very bad for them, verse 6. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried out to God. Now... It's really interesting when this one happens now. Now, it came about when the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. It was I who brought you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all your oppressors and dispossessed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. I shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. Now, here's what's really interesting is because under the old covenant, God was very specific. This is before Christ came. And his point in the old covenant was, look, if you follow the rules I'm giving you, and one of those rules, as you know in the Ten Commandments, is you have no other gods before me. You don't turn to other gods, sacrifice to other gods, invest in other gods, then I will protect you. Right? I will be your shield. Well, They sinned against God and turned to other gods. And now we're going to see this story, okay? Now, the angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat under an oak that was at the Ophrah, which belonged to Joash and his son Gideon, who was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. Now, you don't get this, right? Because we don't understand what's going on here. But what's happening is angel of the Lord comes sits under this oak and there is gideon and he's beating out wheat in the wine press now what this means to someone who was living in this time is pretty significant because whenever you beat out the wheat it's called threshing and that is once you harvested all the shocks of wheat and the shock is you, is a bunch of shafts where it has a little bit of uh, kernels at the top is you would lay it out on top of a hill and you'd put down either a cloth or type or was very or stones that were smooth and tight. and then you would beat it with uh, a thresher, which a thresher was this thing that was probably about seven to nine feet long, and two-thirds of it was one piece, and then they'd take a piece of leather and take the other third of this stick, and they would attach it. So what it would be is like you'd pick it up and then it, the top third would flap over, and then you'd bring it down and it'd go, "Whack!" And what it would do is it would hit the, the grain against the hard surface, right? And that, it would separate it. It would crack that little sheath on the, the top. It's called chaff that protected the seed inside. So you have to get the chaff away from the seed. And you know this, like, when you eat peanuts, like today, our peanuts are deshelled, but once you deshell it, what happens is you have that dark brown thin coating over it, right? And you have to get that off because sometimes you'll breathe it in or whatever. It's kind of annoying when you eat, pe- you eat peanuts the old fashioned way. So that's what they're doing. They're threshing. You do it at the top of the hill because all it does is crack it. Then you would take a big, huge uh, bowl. It was more like a disc, you know, kind of big and flat and you'd scoop it up, and then you'd throw it in the air, and you're at the top of the hill, so the breeze would come through, and guess what? That chaff is so light, it'd blow it all away. And then the seed would fall down. So this is called threshing. And up there on the top of the hill was the threshing floor. So guess where... Gideon is doing this he's doing it in a wine press now what's a wine press a wine press was always at the bottom of the vineyard because the vineyards were always piling on hills right and you didn't want to carry it up you always carried it at the bottom because where you press wine is irrelevant right so it's you put it at the easiest spot so it's always at the bottom of the hill in a ravine or down low uh, oftentimes you'd have it because it's close to a water or stream so you could rinse it out when you needed to and clean it make it that way and then it had a wall around it right and so it had a little wall around it, so you'd put the, the uh, uh, grapes in there after you harvested them, and then you would press them down, and then it would come out of a groove, and you'd put it in a skin, oftentimes, sometimes a, a clay jug. And so what's interesting is, so he's threshing wheat down there. So in essence, what the author here is telling you is that he was scared to death, and he's doing it completely in secret, right? And so it's kind of a cowardly thing to be doing, right? Well, verse 12. So the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, this is why I love the Bible. When you understand what's going on, sometimes it's just hilarious. So this angel looks to him and says, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. <laughs> so you have this Gideon, you know, he's down in a hole. He's trying to like thresh, you know, he's trying to like thresh wheat, you know, look up and like, is anybody seeing me? Is anybody seeing me? You know, he's trying to hide. And the angel of the Lord says, you are a valiant warrior. It's kind of funny. Then Gideon says to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Now, what is Gideon doing? Well, Gideon was at the place where the prophet showed up to the nation of Israel, to the different tribes, different groups, and said, it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So now he's referencing that. Well, if God is so great and has done all this, where is he now? Because we are in dire straits. He, in verse 14, so the Lord's angel looked at him and said, go in, go in this, your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So could you imagine Gideon? Gideon is like, you're crazy. I'm hiding down here in a hole behind a little stone wall in a wine press threshing my wheat and you're calling me a valiant warrior and that I'm going to lead. He even kind of says this, look at what he says in verse 15. He goes, Oh Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. He goes, you are picking the lowest of the low here. And he goes, I am also, even in my own house, I'm the youngest. In other words, I have the least standing. No one calls me a mighty warrior. No one looks to me for strength. You know, I'm the baby of the family, you know, the runt of the litter, so to speak. So the Lord then says to him, surely I will be with you and you will defeat Midian as one man. So Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who've spoken to me. And then what he does is he goes in, he prepares in in their culture a, a small meal, right? And then he brings it out and he sets it before this angel, okay? And then what happens is the angel of the Lord touches the meat and the unleavened bread and fire springs up from the rock and consumes the meat and the unleavened bread. So it's that's a conversation of a sacrifice that was accepted to God. And it's also a sign that, okay, this is the Lord speaking to you through this angel and the angel vanishes. So verse 22, when Gideon saw that this was an angel of the Lord talking to him, he says, alas, our Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace to you. Do not fear, you will not die. Gideon then built an altar there. And it says, even to this day, when this was written, it says, there is still an altar in Ophrah, and he goes now that same night it came about that the Lord said to him now take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah which is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which which you have just cut down then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And it came about because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day. So he did it by night. So even here, he's got a little bit of instruction, just a little step that he's supposed to take. And he's still afraid to do it even in the middle of the day. So he does it at night. Now, what did he do? Well, remember how the whole chapter started with the men of Israel had sinned against God. And that's why Midianites had come in and kind of tormented them. Well, what they had done is they had built an altar to Baal, and they had built an Asherah. Do you know what an Asherah is? Well, an Asherah was a wooden pole, okay, very similar to a, a totem pole uh, that Native Americans would carve. But it had one character, and an Asherah was the fertility goddess of, that was always partnered with Baal. Okay, And what happened is they would carve this, and often what it was carved out of wood is that it would be a woman, and then her arms would loop out, and then they made her with really large breasts. So, And she was supposed to be this sexualized fertility cult. And the way you worshipped her and you honored her is every few times during the year you would light fires, you know bonfires around them and you would also have sexual uh ceremonial rituals, right? And so God says this is really disgusting and that's why God was upset with the Jewish people. And guess whose father was doing this? Well, Joash, Gideon's dad. And so Joa but Joash was wealthy, he had a large household. Lots of sons, lots of servants. And so in the middle of the night, what Gideon does is he surrenders to God's command and he goes up and he chops down the Ashereth and uses it to do what? Give a burnt offering to God. So what does that have to do with surrendered living? Well, I think what's really interesting is that notice how the very first thing is that uh, surrendered living is, starts with God right? They, 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 were un, they were being tortured by the Midianites. Their lives were miserable. And what happened is they had turned to all these other things to try to find a solution, and it wasn't working. So finally, a prophet says, you need to turn to God. And then to Midian, an angel shows up and says, okay, turn back to me, and you'll find the answer. I think what's really interesting about that is in today's world, surrendered living is really all about healing and wholeness. Surrendered living is the key to being made new again. The first part of surrendered living is when you relinquish your own self-perception, your own self-pursuits at wholeness, and you start following, you start believing Jesus and his perception of who you really are. Look at... The angel said, You're a mighty warrior, and he says, You are going to deliver the people. And the first thing that Gideon said was, You're this is a joke because I'm the least, I'm from the least family of the people of Israel, and I'm the runt of the litter. So, what was Gideon's opinion of himself? It was low, it was very low. And it's amazing to me how many people today want salvation they've come to faith in Christ, but they continue to carry this incredibly low perception of themselves. And therefore, they live out their faith in their days of faith with Jesus in, in a, a form of unsurrendered living. And this is what's really interesting. As most people, when you say, well, you need to surrender to God, people are thinking, oh, man, I have this really nice car that I love, and I have all this money, and I'm going to have to give up all this stuff that I really is cool and awesome and good stuff for me. And what people don't realize is the first step in surrendered living is you have to give up your negative self-perception of yourself. But it's like one of the things that is almost okay for Christians in America. It's like, well, it's, it's good to th- think poorly of yourself. Well, wait a second. The first step in surrendered living is the key to healing and wholeness because you have to give up your own perception of yourself you're not allowed as a disciple of christ to think in those terms anymore. it's really fascinating uh the famous uh psychiatrist not psychologist but psychiatrist carl menninger uh he once said that if I could convince the patients in my psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. Think about that for a moment. And that's pretty powerful when you think about that. Uh, When I was in elementary school, my dad uh, enrolled all of his boys, uh, I was one of three, in gymnastics. And the head coach and founder of the gym was a gymnastics champion. So the gymnastics world really knew who he was. During the orientation, we went to his gym. He's showing us all of the, you know, the high bar, the parallel bars, the pommel horse, the, the floor mat, and all of these different things. And, and he orients you during his top-tier class. So there are all these high school students, some college students in there that have been training for, almost a decade and they were really good and so you start off you know here I am like a, a seven or eight year old boy walking in there and I'm looking at this and I'm going oh my goodness these guys are amazing they're doing flips and they're doing you know letting go of the high bar I mean it's just insane all the stuff that, that we were doing and he says to us one day you're going to do this and I all of us guys are the boys are looking and said I'm never going to do that I can't do that that's this stuff isn't crazy and he says this he goes he goes Now, I know that many of you don't think you can, and the reason you don't think you can is because you don't have the conditioning or the confidence, and this is what I'm going to do for you first. I'm going to condition you, and then I'm going to teach you, and your confidence will grow. This is why the first step in following Jesus is all about salvation. It's about being healed spiritually first. So that once I am healed spiritually, I can be healed emotionally and intellectually and all these other areas. And most importantly, I am healed in my poor self-perception of myself, right? You can't, you can't go around and say that I'm worthless and I have no value and I have, nope, you can't say that anymore. You have to say, I'm going to give up my own self-perception and I'm going to adopt the self-perception of Jesus. Okay. And you know, this is why surrendered living is the only way that you can ever be free from any addiction. You know, surrendered living is all about, uh, healing the will addiction at its core is a corruption of your will. All right. It is our will that makes the decisions for us. And it's our will that causes us to act. It's our will that keeps us focused on a task, you know, um, uh, until it is completed, it's our will that drives our behavior. Therefore, if it gets skewed only a little bit, it, then our will will cause us to do things that we know are bad for us, right? That's how addiction works. And that is, even though in your head, you know, it's not good for you or it's bad, guess what? Your will causes you to do what? Continue. And your will becomes influenced by your physical body's reaction in, in hunger and thirst for whatever that substance is. Is so. This is why uh, surrendered living is so important because it is the process of healing the will that has been warped. When your will is completely surrendered to Jesus, only then can you begin to have a will that is healed and recalibrated. This is why the greatest addiction recovery program in the history of the world is a 12-step program uh, started by Bill Iden and Bob Smith in the basement of a church. It was all about this. It begins, step one, surrender to God. You say, I'm powerless over this thing, and so only God, you have the power over it. That is a statement of surrender. So it's really interesting how that worked in Gideon's life, you see. And so uh, the story goes on. I'm not going to read any further about the fleece throwing and how he tests. But the story goes on that, you know, Gideon then uh, gathers a small army and then he goes to meet the Midianites that out you know, even a small Marty, small army was uh, outnumbered, you know, 20 to one. And then God says, well, guess what? I'm going to get rid of most of your army. And he does. And he only ends up with 300 men. So now it's, you know, 10,000 to one odds. And he shows up and God tells him how to defeat the, the army. And guess what? God shows up and defeats the army. Now, how do you get to that point in your life where you're doing incredibly powerful things like that, confident things? You're, you're not just defeating a demon in your own life, but you're defeating the armies of darkness You know, in the tens of thousands. You're seeing victory over things in other people's lives that is happening because your faith has grown so strong. How, how does that happen? Well, it's all about surrendered living. You see, it starts with surrendering, and then it continues on. So on Thursday, we're going to pick up right here where I leave off and we're going to talk more in depth about how to apply this concept of surrendered living to your life and its effect that it has in our culture today. So this is a Salty Pastor signing off. I hope that my time with you was insightful. Would you please leave a comment or give us some feedback, send me an email or text, whatever, just to let me know if, if this style of the Salty Pastor Uh, you appreciated, or you're like, yeah, I think I'd like to go back to the old one. You won't hurt my feelings if you share your opinion. So I just want to say, God bless you guys. Continue to like, and subscribe to the Salty Pastor, and I will see you on Thursday.